Just a couple items of housekeeping. After Mass, uh, now that we've begun the Easter Triduum, uh, there's no final blessing at the end of these Masses, both tonight and tomorrow at uh, Good Friday service, the Veneration of the Cross. In In a certain way, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday Easter Vigil are all three parts of one gigantic liturgy that celebrates the entire um, mystery of our salvation from this institution of the Eucharist at the Last Supper on until the fulfillment of that Eucharist at, in his, Jesus' sacrifice of himself on the cross, finally into his resurrection on Easter Sunday, are all part and parcel of one big liturgy. So at the end of Mass, actually, um, the Eucharist will be... Uh, Reposed in what is normally the confessional, but will now be our altar of repose, our special altar, uh, where after Mass, until Newman closes, anyone is welcome to stay and pray uh, with Jesus, just as the apostles were called to pray with him in the garden this very night, um, then to not fall asleep. Uh, so to, to stay with Jesus in the garden um, tonight after Mass. But if in, you're not going to stay and pray, simply just leave in silence after the Eucharistic procession is over. Of course, you're all aware of the terrible news this week about Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, how uh, there was this catastrophic fire and uh, much of it was damaged, including this historic roof from the 1150s, 850 years old, some forest of trees that, uh, that now there aren't trees of that species of that length anymore. It just, it's this irreplaceable, priceless uh, work of art and miracle of architecture But you may, if you've been following it, also know that over a billion dollars has been pledged from people all over the world, Uh, rich people as well as businesses and um, corporations have pledged over a billion dollars already for the rebuilding of Notre Dame Cathedral. And predictably, on the internet, there's lots of people criticizing that because, oh, there's so many poor people and so many people uh, that are hungry or dying of preventable diseases. Why waste all this money on a church, a building. Yeah, it's important. Yeah, it's a historic piece of culture and art and religion. But is it really as important as even one hungry person? Well, of course not. Right? St. Francis, in his Constitutions, talks about the altar to Mary, that if you have a side altar, say, to the Virgin Mary, it's much better. She prefers it much more if you clothe a naked person or feed a hungry person rather than provide her altar with all sorts of gold. It's much more valuable to her to imitate her humility and her generosity than simply to give her honor by all sorts of expensive and beautiful things. But that being said, the poor, just like the non-poor, those who are rich in material things, don't just need food and water and shelter to live. We all, rich and poor alike, need beauty to live. And in a certain way, a billion dollars to solve world hunger be a drop in the bucket. And anyway, money is not really the problem, is it? We know that. Why is, is there hunger in the first place? It's not because there's a lack of money or a lack of food. It's that we don't treat each other like family. It's that we don't recognize Christ in the poor or the hungry person in my midst. And so in a certain way, it's, it's a good thing, I think, that Notre Dame Cathedral has attracted so much attention because why was that place built in the first place? It was to do this, to celebrate the Eucharist. It's a church, just like the one we're sitting in. But it just happens to be one that reflects, maybe more than any other church on earth, what the reality of what we're doing right now actually means. 
Because no matter how much money you threw at the problem of poverty or of war or of racism, whatever amount of money you threw at that would never solve it. We cannot make heaven on earth by our own efforts because we're broken. All of us are broken. We're all sinners. And so how does that problem get solved? Where is heaven on earth actually happening? Right here. If it weren't for the Eucharist, we would have no hope of ever getting to a place where everyone had enough to eat, where everyone felt the dignity that is theirs, the freedom and the love that they are deserving as being made in the divine image and as being redeemed as sons and daughters of God. It's the Eucharist that teaches us who we are. There are three great institutions that Jesus invents, institutes, creates at this Last Supper with his disciples. The first is the priesthood. He calls these 12 men, imperfect as they are, from very different backgrounds. Some are fishermen, some are tax collectors, some are zealots, some are traitors. He calls them to this new order of priesthood. Not like the Levitical priesthood or the priesthood of Aaron in the Old Covenant that was a priesthood that elevated itself above the people and where the people brought them offerings and tithes and money and animals for them to sacrifice to God and to to kind of be the mediator between God and men. Rather, these priests would be shepherds. They would love the people They would be one with them and yet give them these mysteries of the forgiveness of sins through confession and penance and of the very body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus in the Eucharist. He gives these men to the church, to his people as a gift. Without the priests, you can't have the Eucharist. And that's the second institution that Jesus creates this very night is the Eucharist. The fulfillment of his promise that he will be with the church until the end of the age. Remember he says this in Matthew 28? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I've commanded you to observe. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. What does that mean? He's not just talking about the Bible. Certainly, whenever we read the Bible... We read the scriptures, that's the word of God, Jesus dwells among us. It's not just when we pray on our own or with a group of people. He said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in your midst. It's not even just with the poor. He said, whatever you do for the least of my brethren, you do for me. Yes, he remains with us in all those ways, but most especially here. This is how he fulfills his promise, to be with us even to the end of the age. That wherever you are in the world, so long as there is a Catholic priest you can encounter Jesus face to face in his body, blood, soul, and divinity. In every particle of the Eucharist, he is present. And this is the third institution that he creates tonight, is the sacrifice of the Mass. That's where we receive the Eucharist, where the Eucharist is consecrated, is within what we're doing right now. This great sacrifice of praise. Because what Jesus does tomorrow on the cross wipes out our sin, He deals with all of our dysfunction, all of our brokenness, all of our disorder on the cross. He carries it. He covers it with his blood, offers it his life in perfect obedience to the Father like none of us could to undo our disobedience 
and to open up the way to the Father again for all of us. But the question is then, how do I have access to that sacrifice? That happened 2,000 years ago in a place I've never been. How do I get to the foot of the cross? How do I stand before Jesus pierced for my offenses and get covered in his blood to see and be in communion with his broken and crucified body, risen from the dead? How do I get in communion with him? It's here. It's at this sacrifice. That time is stretched into eternity. In this eternal moment, we are both at the foot of the cross 2,000 years ago. We are here with each other at this commemoration of the Last Supper where he promises to be with us. And we are also already in heaven, heaven on earth, doing what the saints and the angels are doing in heaven, singing, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of power and might, giving all the glory to God the Father, through him, with him, and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, we are joined right now to the choirs of angels and saints in this great sacrifice of praise. This is how we have communion with Christ, is in the Mass. And so this is the only Mass of the entire year where we do both of the things that Jesus did at the Last Supper, not only to consecrate the bread and the wine, which becomes the body and blood of Christ, but what he did after the Supper, to show the disciples what this meant, what this was for. What receiving this and being in communion with this body would look like. Because discipleship looks like something. People should be able to tell that you follow Jesus. Your life should look different because you're putting your feet in his footsteps. You're carrying the same cross that he carried. And what it looks like is perfect self-emptying love. And so the Son of Man, who was present at the creation of the universe, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Anointed One, the Messiah, kneels down at twelve sinners' feet and washes the grime from them. He ties a towel around his waist and water in a basin, and he washes the feet of twelve men who are his disciples, his inferiors, his subordinates, his creatures. What Jesus is presenting is not just an example, not just saying, worship me like you worship your heroes. Try to imitate me. Try to be as generous or as humble as me. What he's saying is that when you receive this bread and this wine that has become my body and blood, which is shed and broken for you and given for your offenses, to transform you from the inside out into me, this is what it should look like. What Jesus does when he washes the feet of the disciples is not just some generous act among many of the generous acts that many generous people have done throughout history. Lots of people are humble. Lots of people are brave. Lots of people are good. But only Jesus is God. And if God has been so humble as to kneel down at my feet and wash them, what does that mean that I should do? If this is what what it costs God to save us, the total obedience unto the sacrifice of his own life, of his only begotten son. What do I have to complain about? <laughs> a bishop said once in a homily at the seminary, men, it was a bunch of us that were going to be priests one day, he said, men, the higher you go in the Christian life, it's not like the world, where now I have all sorts of people beneath me because I'm in charge of this company or I'm in charge of this division or I'm... I'm some kind of exalted person, therefore people serve me. It's the other way around. The higher you go in the Christian life, the lower you must go. 
and more and more people will be above you until you go so high that there's not a job beneath you. You are the lowest. You are the servant of the servants. This is what God, what Jesus, is calling his disciples to do. His 12 apostles, who are the first priests, but each and every one of us who receives this great sacrament of the Eucharist, who gets in communion with Jesus Christ, crucified and risen from the dead, now needs to be transformed to allow that grace to flourish in our lives. Any plant will grow slowly, and usually it's gradual. I remember my first communion teacher said to me, every time you receive communion, you get more of the life of Jesus in you. And I never forgot that. As cliche or as boilerplate as that sounds, every time I went up to communion from second grade on until through high school, it was like I could feel the power flowing through me. And even if I couldn't, I believed it. I trusted in it. That because my mom was dragging me to church and maybe I didn't feel like going, every time I came to that altar and the priest gave me the body of Christ, I said amen and received it with a clean heart. I was somehow being transformed. I was not becoming a saint overnight, but just like a tree growing, it was gradual and over time, but that transformation can be massive if you're consistent, if you receive Jesus with an open heart. But like any plant, if you stop feeding it light and water and nutrition, it will die. This is why the Eucharist is so crucial. A priest said to us on Tuesday at the Chrism Mass, he said, Without the priest, you can have no Eucharist. And without the Eucharist, the world would die of cold and hunger. That's why it's important to rebuild Notre Dame Cathedral. Not just because it's some building, but because it's the house of God that's built as a reflection of the tabernacle in heaven where we're all destined to go. That our hearts don't just want the food and the drink of this world, but the food and drink of heaven That's where our souls are destined to go, and that's why we're here tonight, to eat and drink freely at this table, which God gives us to be in communion with his crucified and risen Son.